So I used to have a seminary professor who had this phrase when he would preach, he would say, text is context. And the reason that he would say that is sometimes the reading that we get is incomplete. And so to fully understand what's going on, a little context. So I'm gonna put a little context around our first reading today. Peter and John have just uh, experienced Pentecost. This is a few days, maybe a couple of weeks, not much longer than that after Pentecost. And they were on their way to pray. And they encountered a crippled man at the beautiful gate at the temple. And this is that great moment where he's begging for alms and Peter looks at him and says, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus the Nazarene, rise and walk. And he does. And after that, the crowds gather because everyone is shocked and they're amazed. And they want to know what's going on. And Peter and John are standing there. And then Peter ain't so pastoral when he speaks to them. And I can tell you from, from my own experience as a priest, the first thing that Peter says to them, they all remembered. The next thing that Peter said to them, they all forgot. And the thing after that, they just ignored. Because the first thing that Peter says is, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of, of Israel, the God who created all things, raised this Jesus from the dead, whom you handed over to Pilate in exchange for a murderer. And that's where all of their listening stopped. That's pretty harsh words. I mean, Peter's not pulling any punches at that moment when he explains to them how this happened. You know, this man was healed in the name of the man that you all had put to death. And when, when Pilate was ready to let him go, you didn't want that. You wanted a murderer. But then Peter says to them, and this is the part that they didn't hear, but you did it in your ignorance, you and your leaders. And so Peter basically, just as Jesus does on the cross, Peter starts making excuses for them. Now, why does he do any of this? Is Peter, are Peter and John now, they're like, you know, he's risen from the dead. Now we can go stick it to them all and tell them we were right all along. Neener, 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 I told you so. No. Peter doesn't care about what they did. He wants them to care about what they did. Because he wants them to know that in this one instance, it can be completely and totally undone because it already has been. Because this Jesus who they all sacrificed, screaming, crucify him, crucify him, has risen from the dead. All part of God's plan from the very beginning. And so when Peter speaks these harsh words to the people, it's not because he wants them to feel shame. He wants them to understand their guilt so that they can change. Peter acts out of love for these people. And love is wanting what is good, willing what is good for others, regardless of how it affects us. And so Peter's words may seem harsh, but they're necessary. And any parent who's had a troubled teenager, which means any parent who's had a teenager, knows the idea of tough love. 
I don't know a parent who's gotten their kids into college who hasn't at least one point in their life said to their child, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And there's some real truth to that. Because sometimes doing what is best for another person is difficult for us, even if it's difficult for the other person. That's what love demands of us. Love demands that we do things that make us uncomfortable and make others uncomfortable if it is going to bring about what is best for them. And that's why I say they ignored the final thing that Peter said, which was, which was repent and be converted. Because that's what the ultimate object of love is, especially in the church. You know, I, I hear it all the time. You know, Father, you're not very pastoral sometimes. What's my job? Is my job to love you? Or is my job to be nice to you? Because we live in a society that has replaced love and kindness with tolerance and niceness. And tolerance means that I ignore the bad things because I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I'm nice to you and say everything's okay. But love means that I point out those bad things even if you don't want to hear them. And I don't do it so that I can feel better about myself. I don't do it so I can build myself up. Look, I got a list of sins a mile long that I can, well, I'm not going to do it here today. But I'm human just like you are. I make mistakes. I have people who call me out and thank them for doing that. Because it's important we don't get better if everybody tells us we're okay all the time. You know, if I, if I ever find myself in a position where like every priest in the United States is kidnapped by those pyramidal UFOs that appeared in the news earlier this week, and they all disappear with all the bishops and there's nobody left and they have to make me a bishop. <laughs> and I have to pick an Episcopal motto. You're supposed to pull something out of scripture. Mine would be way too long. This is why I would never become a bishop. But I say this a lot. The second person of the Holy Trinity did not come down from heaven, take on human form, walk the earth for 33 years, preach for three, get tortured, crucified, die, and rise again so that you can feel good. He did it so that you can be good. And that's an entirely different thing. In our society today, especially, with our prosperity, we can feel good all the time. Being good doesn't always feel good. Not in the moment. But there's something about being good that perdures. And there's something that happens in our hearts and in our souls when we do the right but difficult thing. When we're sitting all alone in our rooms with just us and God. And we know that we are trying to be good. That gives us something better than good feelings. It gives us peace. It gives us tranquility. 
It gives us serenity. It's good to know that we're trying to be good. And as St. John says to us today, Christ is always there if we acknowledge his commandments and we try and live by them. But there are ten, not eleven. Thou shalt not offend has never made it into the Bible. And it never will. Because sometimes doing what is right feels very, very difficult. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts the one who's trying to correct. And sometimes it hurts the one who is being corrected. But if we approach it with the idea that we are called to be better than we are, then whichever side of that conversation we're on, we can be changed. Peter said what he said so that these people would be changed. He didn't want to lord over them what they had done wrong. He wanted them with him in heaven forever. And that's what I want too. That's the whole reason I took this job. That's the whole reason that I'm standing here. I'm not successful if you don't get to heaven. And so if sometimes I say things that hurt, I'm telling you right now, it hurts me more than it hurts you.